unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That is where we left off last week in Jesus' sermon in Matthew chapter 5. At first hearing, it sounds kind of like Jesus is giving a you've got to be good enough for God kind of sermon. You've got to be righteous enough in God's eyes in order to be good enough for God. That's certainly where my teenage brain took this passage when I read it back in high school. Man, I've got to be even better than the religious elites in order to be good enough for God. Yikes. I've got a few critiques of that uh, particular understanding of Jesus and the gospel a few years after my high school days. The first is, let's face it, if Jesus wants us to be better people than the scribes or the Pharisees, he's setting the bar kind of low. Just about any time Jesus mentions the scribes or the Pharisees, he's saying not to be like them, okay? Calling them hypocrites. The second critique is this. The you've got to be good enough for God understanding of Jesus' sermon is wrong. He's actually saying you don't have to be good enough for God. Striving to be good enough for God, striving to be righteous enough for one's own sake is missing the point of Jesus entirely. Jesus is much more concerned with people's well-being than he is in people's righteousness. That's the lesson I get from our story in Matthew's gospel today. Not reward and punishment, but Jesus' genuine concern for the care and well-being of people. Several years ago, I was gently pushing our then three-year-old son, Reese, In a tire swing in the front yard of our house, we were having a lovely time. And then our neighbor's granddaughter came over. She was about six years old, and she asked if she could push Reese. And to be honest, I had some trepidation about the prudence of letting this six-year-old girl push my son, but not wanting to be an overly protective helicopter parent as we Gen Xers apparently are, I decided just to let them play. And that worked really well for about 20 seconds. (laughs) After which time, she spun the swing around and Reese flew off and broke his collarbone. Way to go, Dad. (laughs) And amidst Reese's crying and my checking to see if he really was as hurt as I feared the girl began to apologize profusely. And the fear in her voice and her face communicated two things to me. One, that she was really sad that she had hurt Reese. But that was eclipsed almost entirely by fear that she was going to be in a whole lot of trouble. For my part, I had pretty much forgotten she was even there at this point. (laughs) I'm just looking down, focused on Reese and what appeared to be even just looking at it, a broken collarbone. I was certainly not interested in any way in being upset with her or uh, getting her in trouble. I was just concerned for Reese's well-being. 
I assured her that it was okay. I scooped Reese up. I took him inside. We got him to the hospital. He's fine now. Um, But what strikes me about this story is that our neighbor's granddaughter, her concern about being in trouble completely eclipsed her concern about the fact that she had, you know, that my son was hurt. Now, of course she did. She was a little kid, right? So that's not what I'm saying. Of course that's how she felt. She didn't know what else to do or how else to feel. And there's this big guy whose son she just, of course she was afraid. Um, so no chastisement intended for her of any kind. Um, but now let's imagine that that little girl was an adult who had just accidentally hurt someone. And let's imagine that this adult is more concerned with being in trouble, or even worse, not being righteous enough for God. More concerned with that than with the person that they had just injured. This is the situation I find when we hear Jesus critiquing the religion and the way of life of the scribes and the Pharisees. Be it the parable of the Good Samaritan, where the religious leaders pass by on the other side of the road rather than help the injured person, or be it the actual practices and ways of life that Jesus gave of the religious leaders in which they're shown to take money from poor widows in order to pay the temple tax, or in how they pray about how wonderful they are, how, thank God, I'm so much better than all those other less good people, we see a group of religious leaders concerned with their own righteousness before God, worrying about whether or not they're going to get in trouble, while leaving almost no concern for the well-being of the people around them. Jesus, in his constant healing of people, on the other hand, in his care for the orphan, the widow, the downtrodden, and the outcast, in his preaching including the sermon that we hear today, Jesus showed how much he cared for people's well-being and how interested he wasn't in people being righteous enough before God for their own sake. Our being righteous before God, our being good enough for God, Jesus took care of that on the cross. That's done. We don't need to sacrifice any more goats or turtle doves or whatever else. We, we never did that, but ancient times to try to appease God. That's done. Righteousness before God, Jesus took care of. Jesus' desire for us then was not that we would continue to be worried about whether or not we were righteous or good enough for God. But rather that we would care about and love God and people. From a place of fear about our own righteousness before God, Jesus sent us on a quest to love God and to love people without fear. The quest of love is what we hear Jesus teaching about in the words that we heard today. A far more complicated, rewarding, and beautiful understanding of life than simple reward or punishment. In the teaching that we heard today, Jesus was basically going through the Ten Commandments, saying that on the quest of love, a basic rule-based keeping of the Ten Commandments is not sufficient. Now, some probably heard Jesus' words and felt rather disheartened. Not only
only can we not kill people, we're not even supposed to hate them? That's not fair. That's just too hard. Not only can we not cheat on our husbands and wives, we're not even supposed to fantasize about it? No way we can get away with that. But far from being good enough, which is something we can never live up to, we're not perfect, we're not supposed to be, the quest of love is what we hear Jesus talking about, in which he is not concerned with our being perfect, not concerned with us being righteous before God for our own sake. Rather, the point of the Ten Commandments, the point of Jesus' teaching, is to live our lives in such a way that our lives are a quest of love, a quest of loving God and loving people without fear. See, the Ten Commandments are a pretty good way to start. But you can keep all of the Ten Commandments and still be a pretty rotten person. Imagine talking to someone. We've got this made-up, lovely person who keeps all of the commandments, okay? This person worships God. He has no idols. He goes to church every Sunday and does no other work on Sunday. This person has never committed perjury, never lied about someone in order to get them thrown into jail. He doesn't talk back to his parents. And he's basically content with what he's got, and doesn't steal from other people. All right. Sounds like a pretty decent guy. But then let's say he starts talking about how righteous he is, about what a wonderful person he is, and you happen to know this guy pretty well, and so you call him on it because you've noticed that he does some rather less than wonderful habits in his life. So I hear you saying how righteous you are, um, but you're also kind of a bully. You routinely punch other people when they anger you, and you're constantly insulting and verbally abusing others? Well, yeah, but uh, at least I haven't killed anybody. Okay, check. Commandment kept. Great. Um, Thanks. Okay, what about you're being so righteous, but you treat your wife terribly? No one ever said I had to treat her well. I haven't cheated on her. That's all I'm supposed to do, right? Check. Commandment kept. There are all kinds of ways that we can be really, really terrible to people and still keep the commandments. Even if we follow in Jesus' more stringent code, if that's what it is, then we can still find ways of hurting each other. Even Jesus' code is not all-inclusive. All right, I get it. No adultery, no ogling other women, and no divorce. Beyond that, I have to still like honor and respect my wife. Jesus didn't say it. Don't have to do it. Far from giving us a more inclusive or more stringent set of rules that we have to keep in order to be righteous before God, Jesus is showing us the whole point of the commandments is to care about the well-being of others every bit as much as God does. Now, there's still this part where Jesus says that if we do treat people terribly, we should be thrown into the hell of fire. thought we were going to get away from that one, didn't you? He's saying we should be thrown into Gehenna, the burning garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. Have you ever known someone who was such a terrible louse 
or heard about someone who was such a terrible louse that they had basically become a piece of human garbage? We've at least heard about it. That's what Jesus is talking about. People matter so much to Jesus that he taught people that if you treat others terribly, you are basically turning yourself into human garbage, refuse, good for nothing but the burning garbage dump outside of Jerusalem, metaphorically speaking. So go throw yourself in a landfill, I suppose. Far from Jesus actually wanting us to throw ourselves in a landfill or cut bits of ourselves off, Jesus is teaching that even small practices of treating others terribly hurts others. That even small practices of treating others terribly can lead to a whole life of treating others terribly. So stop with the seemingly insignificant practices in which you treat others without love so that you can treat others with love and so that you don't end up living your entire life treating people without love. Jesus is showing us the heart of God. A heart not interested in keeping rules for one's own sake. A heart not interested in fear and punishment, but a heart interested in using these rules to show us how better to love people and to care for their well-being. Jesus really is far more concerned with people's well-being, far more concerned with love than he is with people's individual self-serving righteousness before God. So Jesus is inviting us to follow him in a life that is a quest of love. A quest to give and receive love. And in this quest, we have our eyes and our hearts open to check in on ourselves and ask, am I living as a loving person? Am I living with a lot of anger and resentment? Am I generally okay, but right now kind of having a tough time? Maybe I need to seek some help with that. Maybe I need others to help check in with me too. Because in this quest for love that Jesus has given us, we don't go it alone. Love cannot be a solitary venture. So we're on this quest with each other. We have our eyes and our hearts open to the people around us. Are they doing okay? Do they have enough? Do we have enough? Do we have more than we need? How can we help? Is the path that my life is on serving only myself? Or is the path that my life is on also serving as a light of love for others? Is the path that our lives are on serving as a light of love for others? For that is the path of the quest that Jesus has set us on. A quest in which we care not about our own righteousness or anyone else's righteousness before God. A quest not of reward and punishment. Jesus has set us on the quest of genuine concern for the care and well-being of others. The quest in which we love God and serve people without fear. The quest of love. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.